In Psalm 18, uh, and we're going to go from 1 to 29. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the home of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From, my, from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the devious you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those who, whose eyes are haughty. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. This is God's word. Shall we pray as we turn to God's word? Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you speak to us. We praise you that even these words written by King David many, many years ago, many centuries ago, still speak to us now, that they speak to us of the Lord Jesus, that they speak to us of the confidence we can have in him. And so we ask that you would help us to, to hear and to respond rightly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start this morning by asking you what I know is, a, is an unfair question, okay? It's unfair, but I'm going to ask you the question anyway. How much has the reality of Easter made a difference to you this week? Okay, so we celebrated Easter um, last, uh, last weekend, last Sunday. We had Easter Monday, maybe you had Easter Monday off work. But apart from that, what difference has the reality of Easter, the, risen, uh, the, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, what difference has it made to your week? Unfair question, I know. I guess um, it would be an easier question to answer 
um, if, um, if our lives had been threatened this week. If, you, if you've been a Christian in, um, in, a, in a part of the world where Christians are persecuted, maybe in Nigeria, where um, as you, you head to church, um, you're not sure whether you'll be safe there or whether your church will be attacked. I guess you'd be able to answer that question more if, if you'd face tragedy this week. Um, I used this example on Easter Sunday. A couple of, um, couple of weeks ago, if you followed the, the school shooting, the awful school shooting in, in Nashville, Tennessee, um, where one of, those, uh, one of those that were killed, one of the pupils that were killed was a nine-year-old girl called Haley Scruggs. Um, Haley's dad, Chad, is, is the, the pastor at um, the church attached to the School Covenant Presbyterian Church. And his daughter went to school one morning and didn't come back. But the resurrection, the reality of Easter, is real for them in the midst of tragedy, um, so that he was able to say in the aftermath of, uh, of such a, an awful event, he said this, he said, we are heartbroken. She was such a gift. Through tears, we trust that she is in the arms of Jesus, who will raise her to life once again. The reality of Easter makes a difference, doesn't it, when you face tragedy like that. Makes a difference, I suppose, for some of us who maybe have been confronted by death, maybe the rally of our own mortality or those of those we lo- that of those we love, those around us. We do face sin and death, but our hope, which is the hope of Psalm 18 in the midst of that, is that we have a righteous king, God's righteous king. And because he has faced death, and because he has won, we can have confidence, even as we face whatever this week brings. As I said at the beginning, the next couple of weeks, and we're looking at Psalm 18, the first half this week, and we'll finish it off next week. And we're, we're really digging down into what it means that Jesus has died and been raised to life. What difference does that make for us? And we're doing that uh, this morning by looking at this Psalm of David. Let me just um, remind you what's going on. The little introduction uh, to Psalm 18 is, uh, is very helpful, the bit in italics there. It says this, For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song, When the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. See, King David, back in the Old Testament, the, 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 the anointed king of Israel, um, God brought him out when he was threatened by his enemies. He granted him victory over his enemies, especially here, Saul, who was the king at the time. Um, it's, a, it's a repeat of a, a song that David sings in, Sam, uh, pardon me, in 2 Samuel 22. It's, it's probably written at the high point of, uh, of David's life when the Lord had delivered him, when he had been installed as, as the king of Israel, when those who had tried to oppose him had been dealt with. But it is more than just David's story. And so we didn't have it read, but if you look down, uh, flick over it to the end of the psalm, psalm, uh, psalm 18, verse 50, just over the page, David says this, um, that Yeah, he shows us that this psalm is not just about David, but a promise to God's anointed king. He says this, he gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David and to his descendants forever. 
See, the promises of this psalm, they don't, they don't finish with David. They point us to Jesus. In Romans 15, Paul puts these words, the, the, the words of uh, verse 49 of this psalm, on the lips of Jesus. This whole psalm is, is actually more about Jesus than it is about David. Jesus is the one who can declare this. We'll see that as we go through. Um, if you're not convinced that's quite the case yet. <clears throat> Excuse me. But maybe you're wondering, why is that good for us? Why is it good for us that these promises are about Jesus? Well, because that actually brings it even closer to us than King David. These rallies apply to us if you're trusting in Christ this morning through Jesus. So we're going to see, as we look at it, we're going to see how it's true of Jesus and then through Jesus, how it applies to us. So how we're going to, how we're going to go through it. There's an outline on your service sheet if you find that helpful. We'll hear, first of all, the cry of God's king as death confronts him, as God comes to judge and to rescue him. And thirdly, as his righteousness is rewarded. And then we'll think about our response, how we should love him and have confidence in him. Firstly, then, the the cry of God's king, verses one and two. David begins the psalm with this sort of um, outburst of praise. I love you, Lord, my strength. I love you. And the, the word here for, for love, it's quite an unusual word. It's not the sort of normal one. It's a, it's a sort of strong um, outburst. It's actually the word that is used to describe God's compassion on his people in the Old Testament. In fact, this is the only time in the whole Bible that this word is used of uh, uh, put on the lips of a human to describe a human's love for another here, for God. This is the only time it's used like that. Every other time it's God's compassionate love, his compassionate care for his people. Here is someone um, so overwhelmed by what God has done for them that praise just bursts out, I love you, Lord, my strength. Verse two, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. David's praising the Lord for being his strength, his stronghold. Um, I don't know if you remember, around the the, the time of um, Prince Philip's death and then uh, then Queen Elizabeth's death, um, the news kept showing this clip of uh, the late queen describing her husband, Philip, as her strength and stay all these years. We sort of know what that means, don't we? It's, it's the one who, who kept me going uh, when it was all too much for me. The one who keeps me going when, I, when I've run out of steam. That is the Lord. Not only here, um, uh, her, her, David's strength, but his rock, the unchanging, solid foundation of his life. His fortress and deliverer, the one who keeps him safe from all trouble. my rock, my fortress, my shield, the one who protects me, the one who gives me salvation. That is God. Now, King David, he'd he literally hidden in a cave um, to escape his enemies. But even as he writes this, he knows that it wasn't the cave who kept him safe. It was the Lord 
who is his strength and his fortress. David was very capable, very able guy, but he knew that he needed the Lord if he was going to be kept safe. He is in that way just like Jesus. Even though Jesus was God, he always throughout his life looked to his father for the strength that he needed. He is the one who can truly say, I love you, Lord, my strength. In the whole of history, there has never been a a closer relationship than between the Lord Jesus and his father, an eternal relationship of love. I love you, Lord, my strength, is what Jesus cries. But just as that didn't stop King David from facing hardship, that didn't stop Jesus from facing hardship. Death confronts God's king, verse three. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. David faces these enemies whose chief aim is to kill him, to take his life, to get him out of the way so that they can carry on with their plans. And it was a relentless experience for King David. He is, as we might say, in the, in the very grip of death. We get these vivid pictures of, of these cords, these ropes, entangling him, trapping him, where it feels like there is no escape. The experience of, of facing death is overwhelming. David describes it like being caught in the torrents, like torrents of water, unable to breathe. It's frightening as as death confronts him. It's the only thing he can see. Some of us will will know that experience well, um, either for ourselves or for those we love. Death is, as the Bible describes it, the last great enemy. Described to the evening service last week on Easter High, um, uh, been a series of phone calls with my mum at the minute. Um, you know, we speak each sort of Sunday afternoon, um, and and there's usually uh, the, the past few weeks there's been a, oh, I must I must tell you before I forget I must tell you about so and so who's who's died. Um, last week it was it was a great aunt. Week before that it'd been a, a neighbour. Most of the time, I guess, um, for most of us, maybe we, we sort of block out the reality of death quite easy living in London, everyone feels quite, you know, everyone just sort of keeps going and there's always more people and we sort of push it to to the edges until, of course, it it confronts us, until it comes close and it is all sometimes that we can see and it feels overwhelming. King David here is confronted by death and so, of course, was Jesus as he faces humanity's greatest enemy, sin and death, as he faces the the, the prospect of his own death in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says this, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Of course, there for the Lord Jesus, it wasn't just the prospect of death, but the reality, the upcoming reality, as he is bound and kneeled to a cross, as those cords tighten, as they seemingly win as he breathes his last. Death confronted him, and God responded. 
It's what we see next in this psalm, that God comes to judge and to rescue him. Verse six, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. David, as he faces death, cries out to the Lord, and the Lord hears him. He responds by coming in judgment and salvation. Firstly, coming in judgment. Verse seven, these extraordinary words. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. It is deliberately an epic language of God coming in judgment. It has echoes of, of the Red Sea when God parted the seas and then judged at the Egyptians. It's echoes as well of, of Mount Sinai as God comes down to deliver the law. It is a picture, an epic picture of God's judgment on his enemies. It's a terrifying picture, isn't it? God, God is angry, verse seven, the, the, to the point where the very earth trembles and quakes because of the Lord's anger. God is pictured even as having smoke coming from his nostrils and consuming fire from his mouth. He is like a, like a raging bull. Point here is God does not stay quiet when his king is threatened. He parts the very heavens and comes down. He comes as, as a warrior riding on the angels. You get, you get different sorts of, of visits, don't you, from, from leaders. Um, I, I don't know if you've been following this week, Joe Biden's, President Joe Biden's visit to Ireland. Um, hysteria, I think, is the only way you could describe it. You know, everyone, it's just a jolly occasion, isn't it? It's smiles, it's hugs, it's delight. He's delighted, um, you know, tracing his Irish roots. Ireland's delighted because, you know, Ireland gets a good, a good rep and everyone wants to, all the Americans want to go on holiday to Ireland. Great, go on holiday to Ireland, helps. Um, absolutely. Everyone's having a jolly time. You know, let's go for a pint down the pub with Cousin Joe and let's, you know, oh, we must be related, Joe, we must be. Um, it's a jolly occasion, isn't it? Some visits from leaders like that, but some are like, more like President Zelensky visiting the front line of the defense of Ukraine. It's a warrior coming to defend his people. And that is, that is what God is doing here as he comes. This is what he will do to, de to defend his anointed one. It's extraordinary words, aren't they? Verse 11, it, it continues. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. The Lord who comes is the Holy One, so holy that he has to be covered by this cloud, this darkness. But even then you see these flashes of his glory, as the lightning 
flashes across the sky and the, and the thunder likened to his voice. The very foundations of the earth are laid bare as he comes in judgment. This is how God, I can put it this way, this is how God feels when his anointed one, when his king is threatened. In, in David's story, um, the, the things that are pictured here, David, they are picture, it's picture language, they didn't literally happen. But that is David's experience as the Lord comes to rescue him. He understands that it is the Lord who has done it and that it is an awesome thing. David's enemies are defeated as God judges them. Which makes us ask the question, doesn't it? As we think of this in the light of Jesus' death and resurrection, what is going on when Jesus is on the cross? Because actually on the cross, we see lots of these things happening. We're told that the earth trembles, that darkness falls over at the whole land as Jesus hangs there, that the very rocks split open as the Son of God dies. These are unmistakably sign of God's judgment. Which makes us ask, doesn't it, who is God's judgment falling on? It isn't on those who are crucifying Jesus because they're standing there watching. It isn't even on humanity or on creation. No, the judgment of God on the cross is falling on Jesus. That's why Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus is experiencing the judgment of God for our sins. Jesus, as it were, becomes God's enemy so that you and I might know God's salvation. That's not the end of Jesus' story, is it? As God comes in judgment, he also comes to rescue. That's how the psalm continues, verse 16. God reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. See, even as, as the Lord Jesus faces God's judgment, as he experiences the full judgment of God and dies, God will not let his anointed one see decay. Death does not have the final word. So where every other human being in, in history has, has faced death and lost, Jesus confronts death, experiences it in the full, and rises from the dead. He defeats death. Acts 2 at 24 puts it like this. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Death, of course, is, is not the end of Jesus' story. And because it is not the end of Jesus' story, it is not the end of your story either if you trust in him. If you're trusting in Jesus, the Bible says you're, you're in him. When he died, you died. When he was raised, you were raised. So if death could not hold him, it cannot hold you either. It cannot hold anyone who's put their trust in Christ. 
Now, you might might say at that point, that sounds great, but you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. I cannot have that sort of confidence. That's why what comes next in this psalm is, is such a wonderful promise to us. Because the confidence that we have in that new life does not come from us and our righteousness, but from God's king's righteousness, Jesus' righteousness. Because it is, thirdly, his righteousness that is rewarded. Verse 20. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I've been blameless before him. I've kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. It's an extraordinary claim, isn't it, that that David makes here. God has rescued me because of my righteousness, because of what I have done. Now, we know if, if you knew David's story, you know he was not perfect and certainly later in his life, after this was written, he, he sins. He commits adultery and murder. So how do we understand what David is saying here? Two, two things, I think. Firstly, David is talking about the specific situation, I think, that he found himself in, where his enemies are hunting him down, trying to kill him, when actually he has not done anything wrong. But secondly here, he is speaking beyond himself, He is pointing us forward to God's true king, to Jesus. Jesus, who will be perfectly righteous, who can absolutely say these words, who will never turn from God's decrees. For you now, it would be a terrifying thing, wouldn't it, to stand before God and and say, deal with me according to my righteousness. Even on our best days, That would be a terrifying prospect. Lord, deal with me according to my righteousness. But I think we can uh, take these words on our mouths if we're trusting in Christ. If we're in Jesus, then I think we can not quite rewrite the psalm, but but, but change who it is speaking about. So let me me reread it um, with that in mind. For those who are trusting in Christ, we can say... The Lord has dealt with me according to Christ's righteousness. According to the cleanness of his hands, he has rewarded me. For Christ kept the ways of the Lord. He is not guilty of turning from his God. All God's laws are before him. He is not turned away from God's decrees. Christ has been blameless before him and has kept himself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to Christ's righteousness, according to the cleanness of Christ's hands in his sight. Christ is the faithful one to whom his father shows himself faithful, the pure one, the humble one who is saved out of death. And because that is true of Jesus, it is true of you if you're trusting in him. His righteousness is rewarded. And if you're in him, you get to share in that reward. 
And if those wonderful things are true, if this psalm truly is about the Lord Jesus, then our response, I think, is, is twofold. Firstly, it's, it's the response of King David at the beginning. It is to love him. I love you, Lord, my strength. I wonder how often you, you pray that. Oh, Lord, I, I love you for who you are and for all that you have done for me. I had a, um, I had a home, home group leader once, not at this church, at a different church, who used to finish almost all of their prayers by saying, Lord, we love you and we thank you. And I think I used to find it a little bit annoying if I'm honest, I'm like, why do you bring that? Lord, I love you. We love you and we, and we thank you. I have repented of my um, annoyance at that. I think it's a great thing to pray. What a great thing to pray. Lord, I love you, Lord, we love you. Thank you. That praise that just cannot be contained at what the Lord has done for us. So we love him. And secondly, we can have confidence in him. David has an extraordinary level of confidence um, at the end of our passage, not the end of the psalm, but the end of the first half. You, Lord, verse 28, you, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. That's sort of the it sounds sort of brash language, doesn't it? It's, it's the sort of military language that, that, that David is living at the time. And yet, there is a confidence that each one of us, if we're trusting in Christ, can have even more. God, you will keep me going. Even as I'm confronted with death, even when it all feels too much, you will turn that darkness to light. Not because it'll all suddenly go away or life will seem easy and the troubles just disappear. No, but because even as those cords tighten, even as death gets closer and we're confronted by it, we can know that the Lord Jesus will bring us out the other side. He has defeated death, and if you're in him, he has defeated death for you. Have confidence in him. Whatever you're going to face this week, whatever you're facing at the minute, you can have confidence in him. We're going to um, respond in a moment by sharing the Lord's Supper together, where we remember Jesus' death for us. We remember that he confronted death, that he experienced death. And we remember, we look forward. We don't just look back to Jesus' death, but we look forward to the heavenly banquet when we will celebrate his victory over death. So as we come to the Lord's Supper, as, as we prepare, why not take a moment to, to reflect on Psalm 18 and to think for you, where will Jesus' defeat of death give me confidence as I go into this week? Where does Jesus' death give me confidence whatever this week brings.